0: This is Nyetta.
1: This is Dr. Ken.
0: And you're listening to The Help Show, Series 3, The History of Mental Health in America. Episode 2, We Shall Overcome, Mental Health, Spirituality, in the African American. Welcome back. This is Naiada. We discuss how African-Americans have survived and thrived in the face of diversity, using community and spirituality as an anchor. We also explore how openness to seeking the mental health is growing in the modern African-American culture. In
1: 1926, Carter G. Woodson developed Negro History Week to highlight the achievements of Black people. In 1976, the week expanded to what we now know as Black History Month. Every year we take time to bask in the educational, political, artistic, and cultural achievements of individuals of African descent in America. What does Black History Month mean? What did Black History Month mean to you growing up?
0: Well, um, you know, I want to rephrase that question because what it meant to me now is totally different what it means to me, what it meant to me then. Um, As a child growing up, it meant I'm out of school. Okay. I mean I'm I'm can, I, can we be honest? They I mean I look, it's gonna be the MLK parade, okay? I'm gonna be out of school that day. I can play outside. So it, it didn't have as as much substance as it has for me now as an adult. Um it, it right now it means for me as me as an adult, how much we have grown as a people. Um, it, it lets me know that We are truly thriving in African-American communities. Um, um, Black History Month means that we still have a lot to go um, as a people of color, as a minority, but then it also means that we're not, we're we're on the back of the buses, um, or we have equal rights. Um, Right now, we're doing better with the equal pay. So many positive things is me being an adult than me being a child. Me being a child me growing up where I grew up, yeah, I was born in the hood, South South Boulevard, South Dallas, but I didn't, it didn't have that much, it didn't have that much of, of, of substance <laughs> that it has with me as an
1: adult.
0: What did Black History Month mean to you growing up?
1: Um, for me, Black History was always an important time to really reflect on who we are and what we're all um, about, and so I remember... Every year, learning about somebody from Black history, from my parents, from my sisters and brothers who were all older than I was, just to really understand how we as a family developed where we came from, um, and just a little bit about our history um, that we actually went through every year. Okay. Okay.
0: And so what role does spirituality play in your life and your identity as an African American now, um, doctor?
1: so spirituality for me has always been really really big i i grew up in a small baptist church in a small town in south carolina and it was it's interesting that it was in church that i really began to understand my history Mm. and where i fit in it was largely a family church that my family had been in for multiple generations. And so I looked at the cornerstone of the church and had my father's name and my grandfather's name and they were all there. But more importantly than that, I could go into the church cemetery and really look at the headstones and understand my history and who I was. So, we could I, take my, I could take my family history back to slavery oh, wow. um, just by walking through that cemetery because that cemetery really had the history of our entire family, or at least our family from the last generation of slavery up until um, my father's death. Um, so spirituality was always interfaced with family history, which was always interfaced with black history
0: that's absolutely amazing don't ask me that question so let's play a little game okay you know i like games okay all right i like games okay good okay so um we have some quotes from the notable african-americans so first tell me what you think and then guess who said it okay and then i will say the first two dr Ken, then you then we'll switch Okay, I'm okay. let's do so it. So, this is um, African American Month, which Black History, which is every day, but let's do it. Okay, so, okay, first one. If you're walking down the right path and you're willing to keep walking, eventually you will make progress. Come on.
1: So, I know that was either Martin Luther King
0: mm-hmm.
1: or President Barack Obama. Okay, okay. Um, and so, I am going to guess that it's President Obama.
0: You're right. Yay! Okay, okay, okay. okay. Um, so now, um, whatever is bringing you down, get rid of it. Because you'll find that when you're free, your true self comes out. Who, who is it? Is it Tina Turner or Aretha Franklin? Uh, this is a hard one. Okay.
1: Um, I have no idea here because i think both of these women are really icons mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. so as a guest i'm gonna say aretha franklin
0: you know what that's wrong
1: uh-huh.
0: okay it's tina turner but... okay.
1: <laughs> 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 okay 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 my turn, my okay turn. now it's my turn okay okay okay. <laughs> it's not the load that breaks you down it's the way you carry it is that maya angelou or lena horn hmm. let me see we don't want my black Harvey. say Lena Horn. All right. Very good. Yay. That was definitely Miss, Miss Horn. Yes.
0: Yeah, see?
1: All right. Got another one for you.
0: Okay,
1: okay, okay. People are trapped in history, and history is trapped in them. Mm. Would it be James Baldwin mm. or Langston Hughes? Oh, I'm
0: going to guess on that one. Can I guess? I'm going to guess that one.
1: You got to give me an answer, so if you don't know it, you got to guess it.
0: Okay. Oh you gotta whole Oh, you think you funny. <laughs> okay, um James Ball.
1: Very good. Oh,
0: that was a good guess. I'm making in class, huh? <laughs> okay. Okay, let's wrap this game up. I don't want to get my black card revoked. It's very potential. <laughs> so we can't wait um for you all to hear these interviews. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at the Help Show.
1: Right like Mr. Wright, our first guest strongly believes in African American men embracing their true selves. Edwin Robinson is a minister, scholar, and activist that is passionate about passionate about doing the work to create a better create a better present and future for his people. He works to help people use their personal power to create change and sees therapy as a means for healing both individually and culturally continue to
0: enjoy the interview. Men starve from the lack of self-realization as much as they can starve from lack of bread. Richard Wright. Like Mr. Wright, our first guest strongly believes in African-American men embracing their true selves. Edwin Robertson is a minister, scholar, and activist that is passionate about doing the work to create a better present and future for his people. He works to help people use their personal power to create change and sees therapy as means for healing both individually and culturally.
2: Please enjoy. Hi, this is Nayetta. And you're listening to The Help Show. So today we have an extremely special guest. We have Reverend Edwin Robinson. Um, he is an activist and political strategist. First of all, we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We call that the TTT at the Help Show for taking the time on this Saturday um, to interview um, this month. This is Black History Month. This is a very important month. In my opinion, it's Black History 365 days a year. It doesn't stop. <laughs> so let's, um, let's get this interview on, on, the, on, the, on the road. So, um, Edwin, tell Tell us about your background and how you came to work um in both ministry and activism sure um
3: first i just want to say um this is a a wonderful show that you all are doing and i love um, just the work that you all are doing uh in the community uh, more broadly to bring awareness to mental health and things of that nature um and it's just great to uh, be with you all today um but about me um you know, I'm a preacher's kid. Uh, my, mother, my mother was my pastor uh, growing up, and <clears throat> I watched my mother deal with the realities of being a black woman um, and then being a black woman um, who's a pastor. Um, and, and when we were coming up, um, you know, women really weren't seen as people who should be allowed to preach, um, uh, more or less speak generally um, in church. Um, That's changing a little bit now. Um, Still have a great problem with that in our country. But that's what I grew up with. And so I watched my mother um, as a black woman go through all the struggles of what it meant to be a black woman, raising uh, two boys by herself, um, along with trying to be a pastor to people. Um, That should have scared me away from the church. Um, Somehow it uh, caused me to run towards it. Um, But I ran toward the church always with my mother in my mind. Um, wanting the church, knowing the church could be, um, and faith could be something um, even more beautiful uh, than what I experienced as a child. And so um, I think that's also what pushed me into uh, doing social justice and activism uh, work is that I realized that um, not only are we, uh, are we responsible for our spiritual health, um, but, there's, uh, but society puts things on us, um, like they did on my mother. Um, you know that um, we're supposed to be something or we should be something that um, you know is sort of antithetical to just being human and so the reason why I do what I do is simply because I believe that my faith calls me to create a world where people can just be more human more human humans um, and I believe my, my way of doing that is through social justice and activism as well as uh, through faith
2: oh wow
4: um... Well, thanks. That's that, that's some really great background. The next thing I was curious about is, you know, how has the Black Church played a role in the treatment of mental health for African Americans historically?
3: Well, um, h- historically, I would say that the um, the church more broadly um, and, and Black people in the church um, have had a interesting relationship with mental health. Um, um, when I think about black people in this country, uh, the reality is most of us, um, we, you know, we came here as slaves and therefore, you know, uh, we have dealt with poverty in a way that other people in this country have not. And our savings, our safe space has been our faith communities, uh, to some degree, not that faith communities are perfect and not that faith communities are always totally safe. Um, but to, but for us as a, as a people. Um, our faith communities have been uh, somewhat of a safe haven for us. Um, With that being said, um, how we dealt with mental health in the context of that has not always been uh, healthy. Um, The reality is, you know, Black people, because of being poor, um, we didn't have access to mental health professionals. Um, The reality is most mental health professionals uh, didn't even see us as humans. Um, And so uh, we found our mental health, um, through faith uh through the church um more not more or less have of necessity than anything else unfortunately um the problem there is that you know I'm a pastor, pastors are not trained mental health professionals um you know, and so you know they're to some degree trained theologians or trained pastors uh, even if they are trained. And that has, I believe, created a gap where uh, we have over-spiritualized or made mental health uh, spooky and mystical, um, when it is really something that's just very uh, common to the human experience. Um, And so I think to some degree, um, our churches have become our places to seek therapy um, instead of going to train professionals to really talk things through uh we either shout it out we pray it out we cast it out um but we don't work it out and i think that's what therapy helps you to do it helps you to really work it out
2: well you know i i really um i i agree with everything you're saying starting from the beginning of time with mental health and especially in the black community community started with slavery and it's, it's something that is passed down from generation to generation and i have a name for it, which is not in the dictionary but um i call it generational slavery and mm-hmm. you pass it down from they pass that from their ancestors to their ancestors to their ancestors and then the, the it's never that stigma and that chain is never broken and so Absolutely. and so being at the church that's the only way that people especially people of color minority, know how to um, that's their safe haven, um, for healing. And so Absolutely. how my, my question I have for you being a reverend, you being a preacher's kid, how have they really, have, have you seen much of a change? Um, especially like in your practice, are, are you putting that more of a practice uh your field of, you know, your pastoring churches?
3: Yeah. And so, um, I, there's a lot of churches. I think, you know, we're moving in a good direction. Um, there's a lot of churches who have um, mental health professionals on their staff now, right? Um, mm-hmm. Pastors are realizing that, you know, you know, while we can be good counselors, we're not therapists. Um, and mm-hmm. so we, uh, you know, there are a lot of, um, a lot of larger churches, you know, that have the budget and, the you know, the ability to do so. Who are creating counseling services and having and have, like I said, trained, licensed therapists um, on staff to deal with the real-life mental issues that people have. I mean, someone walks into your church, and um, you know they, you know, they're they're struggling uh, with the death of a, of a loved one. You know, um, we can, as a pastor, I can pray for them. I can be with them. I can, right. you know, we can see about their needs. Um, um, but there's um, but there's a lot of uh, mental health that they need also. And if we're going to be a place where people can um, – where, we'll, you know, our job as the church is to um, help people to be healthy, whole, and live good – more human, human lives, um, then I think it's going to be necessary that churches um, begin to um, – those that can begin to bring more mental health professionals on staff um, and those that cannot um, connect uh, with mental health uh, professionals that are in, in our communities – um, like I said, you know, there's certain things that as it, um, certain things that don't come out through fasting and prayer. Um, they only come out um, through sitting down with someone and and getting to the root of a, of our problems. And to your point, a lot of that is generational, is deep. It's, it's deep. It's yeah. deep. It's embedded in us. Um, and so we have to be able to to work through that with someone. Um, and then for me personally. I've been in therapy for almost three years, um, with uh, uh, one therapist consistently. Um and it took me about uh I tried about three or four different therapists before I found, you know, my current um my current doctor. And um she's wonderful. Um I know myself so much better. I'm able to deal um with um who I am um and the work that I do. Um it keeps me grounded, it keeps me from losing it. Um um, but it also, more than anything else, it just helps me to know myself. And I think knowing ourselves is actually the first step to uh, living true, uh, prosperous lives.
2: Yes, I think so, too. I'm I'm really
4: glad to hear you being willing to talk about actually being in therapy yourself because one of the things i found, especially in the African-American community, is oftentimes there's a stigma that goes with seeing a therapist, seeing a psychiatrist. People are saying things like, you know, I'm not crazy, I don't need to see people like that, et cetera. And I'm wondering as you kinda of think about your own experience and really working with folks in our community, how do you think about ways that the church could address stigma and how to deal with that stigma among African Americans, but especially African Americans African American Christians?
3: Yeah, I, I think uh so the reality is, churches just need. I mean, we we destigmatize. De- de- excuse me. We destigmatize things by talking about them, right? Um, most people that know me, um, if you you know, if you're around me for a considerable amount of time, um, at some point I'm going to bring up my therapist. Um, not necessarily because I'm trying, um, you know, or I'm like, uh, let me make sure I talk about my therapist. It's just that it's a part of my life, um, and I'm not ashamed of it. Um, I I also I think part of this thing was we just, you know, stop having the notion that some of us out here are normal. Um, We're all crazy. (laughs) Um, What is normal? Yeah, I mean, mean, this is the bottom line. And to be black and to be in this country, right, is to be is to have PTSD all the time. I don't care what your experience of blackness is. If you are black, you have a black experience, and that black experience in this country. Is fraught with all kinds of trauma, um, all kinds of things that are imprinted on you that we don't even know that we're experiencing or going through and affecting our lives. And so if anybody in this country needs to be in therapy, it's black people. And I will go so far as to say, um, you know, this is kind of the the social justice side of me, therapy should be a part of reparations for black people um, in this country. Um, and I think if we begin to talk about it in that way, not that therapy should be for some people, but therapy should be for all people, um, the more we normalize it in that way uh, through in our churches and our communities, I think the more we um, allow people to access it. So I think the, the other side of it is there are a lot of people who call to, you know, have bad ideas about therapy, not because some, they don't want to go, but they just can't afford to go. Um, it costs money. Um, and there's a whole lot of poor people out here, and poor people have the most trauma. It is, it's, a, it's just reality. And so, um, you know, there's also a gap, right, where, you know, the people who really need, um, we all need it, but the people who need it the most um, just aren't able to access it uh, for co- because of cost and, and um, you know, lack of accessibility in their own communities.
2: That is, that is absolutely true. Um, how does the modern black church direct address AA male mental health stigma?
3: Uh, you said, how does the modern black church direct yes. uh, address yes. male black? Yes. Uh, I, well, that's a that's a more loaded question for me. Um, I say that because I, I think um, the modern black church has to figure out how to address maleness correctly. Right. Um, and until we, until the modern black church understands how to address maleness correctly, we're going to be woefully behind in addressing male mental health. Um, the idea that um, men are somehow um, superior to women, um, even though in a lot of churches you, won't, you wouldn't hear a pastor say those words, um, nevertheless, the theology... Um, and the way we talk about uh, the relationship between men and women in this country um, through over the pulpit, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, speaks to that, right, that there's still this uh, deep-seated notion that men are somehow superior to women. So, and, and even a deep-seated notion that men are somehow stronger, um, men have to always be leaders, men have to right. always have it together. Um, and we know that that's not the truth. Um, we see it every day, right? Uh, that's why pastors preach so hard about maleness. So we see uh, the dysfunctionality in it. So I say, what I what I, w- I would say, you know, if we're going to to be able to rightly address uh, mental health in men, we have to first just rightly address maleness. Um, and uh, once we do that well, <laughs> um, then uh, I think we'll be able to rightly address male mental health. Um, but we, we have to stop harming ourselves um, before we can before we can start um, offering uh, solutions to other people.
4: I'm I'm fascinated by your answer to that because I've I've often struggled with some of those issues myself as I look at churches where you you know you go to many churches and 75% of the congregations female you know a much smaller group is is male yet you see a large group of males. Kind of in charge of the congregation but the other thing that i noticed over time is i think there's some unique issues that exist within um the african-american community and oftentimes the church around the traumas that may be specific to males that may be different than, than women and so i'm wondering in your experience if you're looking at kind of a male population compared to a female population, especially in some of the work that you've done with churches, what's some of the differences that you see relative to mental health
3: or behavioral health issues that are are out there? Sure. Um, And I'll preface this by saying I think these differences have more to do with um, the way people have been, the way we've socialized ourselves and have much less to do with, like, biology, right? Like, we were born this way or something like that. Um, I think men have been socialized uh, to um, to not share our emotions. Um, men are extremely emotional creatures, extremely emotional. Um, we're probably, I would say men are probably more, have probably more pent up emotion than any other than women, um, namely because um, society has uh, made space for women to share um, certain emotions, not all, not all of their emotions and not all the time, but more of their emotions, more of the time than uh, society has allowed men to share our emotions. And because of that, um, we're, we are, you know, most men are emotional infants. Um, we haven't dealt with what it means to cry in front of people. We haven't dealt with um, having uh, sheer joy and bliss. Um, in moments that are outside of sporting events, right? Um, uh, we 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 don't we don't really know how to regulate anger well um, because you know uh, we were we were allowed to uh, be angry and then hit or or, or be violent with our anger. Um, the society has allowed us to be this way. And I think that has created, um, and I'll say emotional infants, but I'll even take it further. Um, I don't want to, uh, I actually don't want to um, uh, talk bad about infants in this way. I think uh, the truth is we we, we have an emotional uh, um, development issue. We're emotionally retarded to some degree. Um <laughs> And, and the only way we're really going to be able to come out of that is when uh, men and women uh, in our society um, begin to allow men to be humans and not have to be a man before I have to be a human, um, and, and with all the things that come along with being a man in this society.
2: <clears throat> well, I, I agree with that. You know, society, it makes it hard, especially for black men to have emotions, because if you cry, you're sissy, or they label you with gay or you're sensitive, Um, you know, it is hard for, and what I've noticed, you know, I grew up with one brother and and four other siblings, and we're tougher than um, everybody put together. Just imagine, you Mm -hmm. have four sisters and one guy in the house. Oh, my goodness. I could just imagine Mm -hmm. my brother, like, he wanted to probably cry because we were so mean, but, you know, in the society that we live in, it's like, you better not cry. You better not show emotion. Yeah. What you being? What you? What are you being sensitive about? You have all these sisters. You supposed to protect your sisters. You know, we live in a society where they put this, they put this name, this brand, this structure around what black men should be, what they shouldn't be, how they should feel. I think that we, as a people, we have done that to ourselves, and and people have done that to us. Doctor Yeah,
4: absolutely. But I think we also have to, you know, really talk a little bit about mental health itself and mental health itself. So if you think about depression and the triggers for depression and you think about being an African-American that's, you know, living in the modern age, there are so many things going on that really is stressful that, as um, Reverend Robinson was saying a little while ago, there's really not necessarily an outlet for. So, for example, if I'm feeling sad and I decide to break out in tears, most people around me are probably going to look at me very, very strangely. So there is a part of that that society drives. But I think there's also a part of this where people are experiencing severe depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, and aren't able to really put those things out because there's not a safe place to to do it. And I'm wondering, you know, um, Pastor Robinson, as you're kind of thinking about your own work, how could we create a better environment for people to really be more accepting of what folks are going through um i know that you know we talked a lot about you know talking about it as being one way of perhaps destigmatizing it but do you think there are other things that the church could do to make it safer for people to really talk about the struggles they're going going through
3: um absolutely i mean i i am you know i'm myself i'm not as much of a uh a sort of step step by step sort of person right um, It's kind of not just not the way that my my brain works um i think conceptually um and i think to that end my answers uh are going to come from i, I say that cuz my answers are going to come from that space um, i really believe that you know what the church can do for to allow people to begin to deal with mental health is actually when I say talk about it, I really mean talk about it, um, and and discuss it, create the space. Um, I always say, you know, for any pastor, no matter if your church is if your church has uh, twenty members or twenty thousand members, um, you have a captive audience of humans um, at minimum once a week. Um, And no one, hardly anyone else other than teachers, you know, um, have a captive audience of humans on a consistent basis, um, um, you know, weekly that are listening to them and wanting to hear from them, wanting to hear how I should live my life a little bit better, wanting to grow and learn from them. And so when I say talk about it, I really mean that Um, pastors should be very serious about, you know, talking about mental health multiple times a year in their services, um, uh, um, creating uh, safe, um, confidential spaces for people to reach out um, to, to uh, get to get to seek services, to seek help. Um, like I said before, if you don't have, if the church doesn't have its own mental health services, um, they need to have a list on ready to go. It, it, there should be an organization in the community that they're working with hand in glove um, because the reality is. Um, you know, there are just certain, there are just certain things, um, there are certain needs that can't be met, right, by uh, by praying about it, as I said before. And so I keep coming back to that because I've been in the church for so long, uh, my whole life, all 36 years of my life. <laughs> um, and so I keep coming back to that because uh, it, it hasn't been until recent that I've, heard churches actually talking about mental health and having a whole, maybe have a whole month mental health, you know, during Mental Health Awareness Month and all these sorts of things. And so when I say talk about it, that's really what I mean. It just has to be, it has to be as common to our, um, to our services as offering, um, you know, um, as, as uh, altar call, uh, as, as praise and worship. Um, uh, talking about mental health and and things of that nature has to be just that common because it shows up in the Bible all the time. We just preach it um, differently.
2: <laughs> well, Edwin, this has been a great conversation. You'll be hearing from me more often. for well, you know that, okay? <laughs> Awesome! Awesome! I I I will be calling you and you know um and, and see what you have um going on um you know and you, just in your life how's your day going? Not just to harass you for for everything, just you know just see how you're doing. <laughs> no I think it's important for people and especially in the community just to check on each other. You know I yes. have to check on um Doctor Ken. How you how you doing, Doctor Ken? You you
4: do?
2: You do. Okay okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I think it's important not just always want something, but just just a check on your um, your mental health um, and, and how and uh, how's that going. But we're going to end this call. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. But before I say thank you, thank you, thank you, before we end, how can people find you in your work?
3: Sure. Uh, you can. First of all, this has been a, a wonderful conversation. Um, I would love to keep it going. I think there's so much you know that we need to. Um, to free ourselves, right? Uh, James Baldwin says to be uh, black and to be relatively conscious in this uh, world is to always be in a consistent state of rage. And if that is the case, um, then we all need to be uh, seeking mental health to be able to deal with that rage so that rage doesn't uh, show up uh, in in unhealthy ways. Um, But for people to get in contact with me, um, you can follow me on uh, Instagram, uh, at Edwin, for justice that's edwin the number four justice also on twitter at edwin for justice that's edwin the number four justice and then uh if you want to check out my website i got like one or two things that i've said uh that i posted on my website you can check it out um but uh that's edwinjrobinson.com um and then if you just see me in the city you know see see us doing our thing you know uh to push justice forward um, like, share, um, and join the movement. Uh, we're just trying to create uh, more human humans and a more uh, human humanity. That's it.
2: Okay, well, thank you so much. And um, hey, guys, just stay tuned. Bye, Edwin.
3: Goodbye.
0: Hi, this is Nayetta. This is that Ken. And you're listening to The Help Show. So hey, guys, we have a very... Ex- like amazing guests today. Um, we have Dr. James Lee, co-author of uh, Mind Matters. I'm super excited about this. Um, so I'm ready to get this interview um, under like rocking and rolling because I want to know about the book, how you guys, how you started with the book, um, about your career, how you started with the career, just so many questions that I have, you know, and, and, and also today, everybody, it is um, it's, it's Black History Month. So, you know, it's Af- it's Black History Month for me, 365 days a year. I don't know. What about you, Ken? Dr. Ken?
1: Every day of every year.
0: Okay. <laughs> so let's get this interview um, started. So, Dr. Lee, please tell us about your um, background and how you got into your field.
5: Well, first and foremost, I'd like to thank you, uh, you guys, for having me. Um, this is, I'm just excited as you are. So, uh I started, I guess, my road uh, at Morehouse College. Uh, I was a psychology major and pre-med minor, if you would, at Morehouse College. And it was there that I decided to kind of go into psychology. And once I looked at my field and what I could do, I decided to go to medical school. So um, I ended up uh, going to Meharry Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, We call it the Mecca. But uh, we, and I, uh, at that time decided to go into uh, psychiatry. So it has been a great decision. Um, I was in private practice for about 10 years and most recently, I moved to uh, Greenville, South Carolina and um, started doing some inpatient work. Uh, Instead of doing outpatient psychiatry, now I'm an inpatient psychiatrist taking care of individuals in the hospital. And it's just as fulfilling and um, I have enjoyed, uh, and I still do enjoy what I do.
1: Well, next question I wanna really ask you is, I know there are a number of cultural movements that we see kind of throughout history Um, in the African-American community? And how do you feel like um, those cultural movements have approached the way that mental health issues are, um, are really looked at in our community and how we think about things?
5: Well, as I think about that question, I almost want to flip it and say that instead of cultural movements influencing how we approach mental health, it may be a better question or better way of stating that, saying that how we have approached mental health has more so affected the actual cultural movement. And what I mean by that is that our, as from from an African-American standpoint, I don't think that the pendulum has shifted enough to say that there have been movements. Mm
0: -hmm.
5: Now, when you look at medicine and healthcare in general, Of course, everybody knows, and probably the first thing that anybody over 40 has knowledge of, and maybe even over 30 has knowledge, well, 40, I would say, has knowledge of this Tuskegee experiment, of course. The breadth of that study and how long it actually lasted, and I had to go back and look, and I didn't remember how long it lasted, but that lasted from 1932 to roughly 1972, that study alone has really affected how we approach medicine and how those in the community affect, uh, approach treatment. So that would be one of the seminal things that I would say has affected uh, how we approach mental health treatment, because for a long period of time, there was a lot of distrust amongst uh, the African-American community as far as uh, doctors and health providers are concerned. Now, moving forward, I think within the last five to seven years, we have had a big explosion uh, as far as how we view mental health. And then, on top of that, within the last two to three years, with the Me Too, well, the last two, yeah, two to three years with the Me Too movement, the willingness to open up, the willingness to tell our stories, the willingness to get help for these issues is starting to grow in abundance. And although there has been a lot of growth, there's still a lot of room to go.
0: Most definitely uh, what you're saying is absolute, absolutely um, true. Um, having distrust with the um, with the physicians because of the with the with that, um, is, that is, is that the reason why the black community um, went more into spirituality. So, how has the black spiritual tradition influenced mental health, the mental health practice? And so, being not trusting medicine, in my opinion, then that would make you go closer to God or be um, having more spirituality. So, and I, and I believe you touched you touched um, about this subject in your book,
5: in the first chapter. Yes, well, spirituality has always been in the backdrop and been a, a foundation within the Black experience. Now, when you're talking about spirituality and mental health, you know, we're going to be honest, and, uh, you know, I've known uh, Dr. Rogers there for a few years. Um, there is good and bad when you're talking about spirituality. Uh, and religion and black folk and mental health. So the let's talk about the good. The good is that there's a lot of protective factors that being involved in church having a certain uh, certain sense of spiritual spirituality, excuse me, there is a certain protective factor that that has when you're talking about resiliency when you're talking about the risk of suicide, when you're talking about, having to deal with everyday stressors, uh, there is a sense of protection. However, you know, there was a time when you did not have the openness to talk about the problems that we as African-Americans have, especially from a mental health standpoint. And it was looked down upon, especially within the church, uh, as far as needing the help or the assistance of medications or counseling and therapy. And it was not viewed, as it did not have a, a, a positive view in the church. It was thought that everything needed to be uh, centered around the church, and it was either your faith, spirituality, and nothing else. And we know that church, spirituality, and religion is an important cog, an important key in the overall treatment of mental illness and better mental health, and mental wealth, if we want to look at it in that sense.
1: I love the way you looked at the idea of, you know, protective and negative factors. And I'm wondering, as a mental health professional, how do you kind of think about what we can do to help the church and other religious organizations really be able to address mental health issues in a way that it really becomes more of a protective factor Set of protective factors versus negatives.
5: Well, that's an excellent uh, that's an excellent question, and situations and 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 avenues just as the help show uh, can definitely help to bridge that gap. Um, I find more and more churches are open to having psychiatrists come in. Uh, the group that I'm a part of of global health psychiatry uh, we are looking to start to reach out and use the church as an as an avenue to help get more information out about mental health and black mental wealth and as as we move and try to break down these barriers and and help remove the stigma for mental illness we hope that, more people will recognize and realize where the help is need that help is actually needed. So I don't know if that actually answered your question or not, but I think that attacking it head on and talking with pastors and talking with deacons and talking with every the lay people within the church helps to demystify mental illness and it helps to helps them to understand that uh, this is something that needs to be addressed.
0: Most definitely. I think that should be... That's like, you know, culture awareness. Exactly.
5: Like,
0: you know, um, I think that you should be open to speak about um, these different disorders. It's like any other culture awareness What's going on in your community, in your society, aware of what's going on. You should be aware of what's going on and in for the like, the the mental health perspective. And so I say that because, um, for example, good example, I grew up as a Witness. What is my cultural awareness? (laughs) You know, um, as a Baptist, what's their cultural awareness? Um, I I think our cultural awareness as a whole is all Christian. And so um, I think that the church should, should speak Um, about mental health issues. And I I think that when you spread the word of uh, of the gospel, you should spread the word, um, that should be a part of the gospel because mental health issues have been been around for a long time and so I I think that you should, that should be a part of the agenda because you are doing doing yourself just as a Christian, as a person, as an individual. To be able to speak about um, mental health issues. Um, next question. So, how reduce? Okay. So, how reducing mental health stigma improve the quality of life for African Americans? Um, Doctor Lee.
5: Oh, that's that's easy. If you reduce the stigma, then you have more individuals more willing to get help. Right. You get more help. You have better outcomes, and you have a better life. So reducing that stigma helps to open the door for more competent and compassionate care. So individuals aren't afraid or don't feel as if they're going to be ridiculed when they say, well, I have to go see my psychiatrist or I need to go see my therapist or I have that appointment or I'm dealing with depression. I'm dealing with something that is a little bit heavier than I can deal with and medications may be needed. Uh, We're quick to talk about our blood pressure medication. We're quick to talk about our sugar and our need for diabetes medication and not to say that you have to put everything out there on front on Broad Street just to to put everything out there. But we shouldn't be ashamed for getting the help that we need and decreasing the stigma and lessening the stigma of mental illness uh, goes a long way for us getting the help that we need.
1: So I was I was curious um, as I, you know, looked at your look at your book. I became a little curious about what made you and your colleagues decide to write a book on black mental health.
5: Yes, well, we as global health psychiatry are a group of ten Af- young African American psychiatrists who saw that there was a definite need for doing just what we're doing today, bringing light to mental illness in the black community. We wanted to use a approach that individuals could understand. We didn't want to write a textbook. We got enough textbooks. I got enough books on my shelf that I haven't read that We don't need another textbook. We wanted a book kind of like a Cliff Notes version, uh, kind of like a how-to version of approaching psychiatry. So the approach that we took was making sure that it wasn't a bunch of psychobabble, that it was broken down in layman's terms that individuals can understand. So we broke down, each chapter highlights a a mental illness or group of mental or, or diagnoses, whether it's depression, anxiety. Uh, we do have, we have a chapter on childhood disorders, substance abuse. Uh, it's about 10 or 11 chapters. We even have a chapter on medication and alternative treatments because everything doesn't always have to be medication driven.
2: Right.
5: Uh, we also have an appendix in the back that highlights going to the doctor. So how do I find a psychiatrist? What is a copay? Uh, what is co-insurance? What do I need to tell the doctor? What do I bring? Because a lot of times we're so overwhelmed with the appointment, we don't know how to prepare for the appointment. And sometimes we're caught off guard. So that was the approach. Uh, it was a about a year and a half for two years of writing and rewriting and making sure that everything sounded great and um it has been out for uh, mind matters the book itself is called mind matters a resource guide to psychiatry for black communities uh, it it was released in may of uh 2018 and uh we are very happy that we were able to get it out and very proud of the work that we have done trying to bring psychiatry to the people
1: I want to run through a scenario with you for a second. So let's assume that, you know, I'm an African-American woman. I'm 30 years old. I'm hanging out with one of my girlfriends. And she tells me, you know what, I've, I'm really depressed. I'm feeling down. There are times I think about dying. What can I do to help my friend?"
5: Well, first and foremost, we want to make sure that your friend is safe. So, if she's thinking about dying, we want to kind of make sure that, you know, you as a layperson, you want to make sure that, well, you're not thinking about trying to harm yourself or anyone else. So, if she is safe, then there are several ways of going about it. And, you know, we've And it's a whole nother uh, uh, soapbox, but you know, we have to make sure that everything is accessible. So if she is safe, she can start with maybe talking with her pastor. If she's a member of a church, once again, bringing religion back into it and bringing spirituality back into it, wherever she feels comfortable getting the initial help, that's where we need to start. So talking with someone, whether it's your church, someone in your church, or your primary care doctor, or if this is a, uh, a young woman we're talking about, maybe her OBGYN can at least get her started. However, ultimately, we would think that she would need to try to get in with a counselor, a therapist, or a, and, and even a psychiatrist to assess what's going on and then to better steer her in the right direction. So many times primary care doctors are the, the entry point Uh, But there's nothing wrong um, with calling a psychiatrist or maybe even calling your insurance company to get a list of providers, whether it's a counselor, a therapist, or a psychiatrist.
0: Okay. Um, That was a really good scenario, um, Dr. Kean. You know, I was like, you know, why didn't I think of that question?
5: (laughs) But once again, I do want to highlight if she is or has made no comments, we do want to make sure that in that situation, the individual is safe. And that, you know, so many times as African-Americans, we think all oh, black people don't commit suicide. Well, we know that is not the case. So we do want to make sure that she is safe and that she is not in harm's way.
0: Well, I do have a question. And so if, if the friend says I'm depressed, does she have to have a certain level of depression for you to say, hey, you know, um, to report that to go to a psychiatrist or go to a therapist and talk to is there, is Is there a certain layman term that, term that he needs to use to be able to, like, like a trigger word, like a cue word? Or like that? For someone to be able, for a friend to say, you know what, you really need to go, and you really need to go talk to a therapist or a psychiatrist.
5: Well, no, because in, at any point, you know, we use these buzzwords, depression, but they're, Within the lexicon of what we do and looking at specific diagnoses, it might not be to the level of depression, mm-hmm. but you can feel sad, you can feel overwhelmed. And a lot of times people won't tell you they feel depressed. They may use terms like they feel overwhelmed, or I'm stressed, or my nerve, or they you know, I'm, I have an issue with my nerves. So they may, from a a uh, colloquial standpoint use a lot of different terminology it may be depression it may be anxiety it may be a combination of two okay. but at any point if you're feeling less than normal you need to and once again what is normal but if you're feeling less than your regular self then you need to get that checked out and find out what's going on or at least identify the problem
1: I was really excited about your book because it's one of the first ones that I've seen where people are, are really able to, as a as a lay public, um, really get a hold of a mental health book that really will help them. Um, if I wanted to get a copy of the book, how do i how do I get a hold of it?
5: Well, the book is available. Uh, we have a website. Uh, the website is GH Psychiatry. Uh, In addition, it's also available on Amazon. Uh, If you go to Amazon and type in Mind Matters, uh, there will be a a few other books that come up, but ours has the subtitle, A Resource Guide to Psychiatry for Black Communities. Uh, So it's available through Amazon. Uh, Our website uh, has information on our uh, group, uh, has information on the book, Uh, And has a calendar of our events as well. And uh, it has a link that will then take you to Amazon.
1: And I I did want to ask you one one other question. So it seems like your book is really focused on Black mental health.
0: Right.
1: Is Black mental health and white mental health different?
5: No, it's not. No, it's not. Um, We focused our book toward Black communities because there was not a book that was focusing toward black communities. However, a mental health problem across, I mean, a a problem in the black community with mental health is a problem across all communities. So in the times that we have right now, uh, a lot, this book would be applicable to any community. Uh, Whether or not there's a question about what is depression, uh, what is schizophrenia, How do I know if I'm going through a manic episode? Uh, What is anxiety? All of those are common questions across the diaspora. They aren't just relegated to the Black community. However, as 10 Black psychiatrists, we wanted to focus this book initially for the Black community because we knew that there weren't a lot of resources geared toward that particular population. Well,
0: Dr. Lee, I almost forgot to tell you. Tell them to go to the Help Show and click on a click on link because we have your book um, on our um, Instagram.
5: Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. Oh,
0: you're welcome. <laughs> so, um, you guys can go to the Help Show on Instagram and also on Facebook. And we actually have a, a link for you guys to go to to purchase the book. And so, <laughs> we're all in this thing together called mental health. And so, That's that's our community, mental health. And so, Dr. Lee, I want to say thank you so much. We call the TTT, thank you, thank you, thank you, for interviewing with the Help Show.
5: Well, thank you so much. And I would be remiss to say that it's programs like this that do help to break down the uh, barriers and help to demystify. Uh, We at Global Health Psychiatry... I forgot, we do have a Facebook page, Global Health Psychiatry. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram as well, Global Health Psychiatry. So thank you so much for the opportunity and look to talking to you guys in the future.
0: Me too. Thank you so much.
5: All right. Bye-bye.
0: So Dr. Kim, what did you think about the interviews?
1: Those were two great interviews. I loved I loved them both. And I think that both guests really were experts in what they, what they did.
0: You know, I think so too. I absolutely loved um, both of the guys I think Dr. Lee he really explained about mental health in the um in in spirituality but in African American communities and he broke down um the book um with, um Oh, my goodness. Black yet. mental health. Black mental health. I'm sorry. And it, um, it matters. And so in the book, he describes there's 13 chapters, and each chapter describes um, different um, diagnoses. And I think is important. You know, schizophrenia, depression, um, those kind of um, PTSD, those are the um, diagnoses that really affect the um, African-American community. And then also going back to... Um, to Mr. Robertson, Minister Ro- um, Pastor Robertson, he talked about him actually getting help himself, like you know, make sure that he kept him a therapist to keep you know to keep his spirituality in check, to keep his mental health in check, and how that we should talk about um, mental health in the churches and in, in the um, African American communities. Yeah, I think
1: putting these two interviews together really gets rid sort of that false dichotomy that. Spirituality and there's mental health. I think when you look at both Dr. Lee and Pastor Robinson, what we see from both is really a man it's primarily a spiritual person, a pastor, a speaker, um, someone working in a community who really sees the importance of the mental health side of things. And in Dr. Lee's side, you're seeing a man who's coming from the science side who really is thinking about psychiatry and really thinking about the spiritual dimension. So as we begin to put those two things together, I think what we were able to give our audience, at least the thing that I was able to give to, to myself as a gift, is really to begin to look at us as kind of holistic individuals, where spirituality and mental health really are one and the same. Yeah. They, they overlap.
0: Yeah, they coincide with one another. I and I, and I feel that um, in in the in Christianity that. We should always reach out um, in the churches to reach out for professional help. And, and but then I also like the fact that now churches are bringing psychiatry into um, the ministry, and they're bringing psychiatry into the churches to be able to you know um, help people of color. And I, I think people in general. It doesn't have to be yes, this is African American month. This is Black History Month. This is, and we did it's three and days of Black History. But as a whole, mental health affects us all.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, when we think about Black History Month and our, our focus on it, I I think it's important to recognize that all people have mental health issues. But I think one of the reasons why it's important to focus on, on Black mental health, especially during this time period, is the fact that we often have not been the folks that have engaged in therapy. We've often not been able to take care of ourselves and our, our mental and spiritual health in many cases. And so it's really becoming forefront, you know, of a lot of thinkers, especially both from the pulpit and in therapy offices to really figure out how do we do a better job of taking care of ourselves and making sure that we're healthy for ourselves and for the next generation.
0: You know what I, I I'm going to say that you? <laughs> Well guys um We're closing this um, episode, but we have some other great episodes for the rest of the year um, with mental health in America. And so, um, Dr. Ken, thank you so much for just being an amazing um, host. And um, thank you for allowing me to hang out with you. it's (laughs) it's fun <laughs> it's fun okay good I'm, I'm. it's good to know I'm fine um, if you or someone you know is struggling with mental health disorder visit the National Alliance of Mental Illness website for valuable resources to find help and support or call the toll free helpline at 1-800-950-NAMI and that's 6264 um, visit the website at africanamericantherapists.com to find black therapists in your the major cities I want to say thank you guys um, for listening to the help show and please stay tuned.